All right, open your Bibles then to Romans chapter 8. As we continue our study here uh, in chapter 8, Paul is still dealing with the subject matter of what you and I would call sanctification. That being said, the source of our sanctification, which is the Holy Spirit, is still front and center in this, uh, this letter that he has written, more specifically in this chapter. Now, when I talk about sanctification, it's that mindset that God has called us to live a holy life. We are being set apart from the rest of this world, and there should absolutely be a difference between us and them. And with God molding us, if you will, into the image of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not just, hey, Christian, I want you to do this, and I don't want you to do that. It's not just about that, it's, it's God actually changing our hearts so we desire to honor him. We want to live lives that are faithful to him. We don't want to look and act like the world, right? The Bible says we are new creations in Christ. Now a large part of this sanctification would certainly be uh, God giving us his word, which we have right in front of us today. His word, as we know from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, is living and active, right? It's sharper than any double-edged sword. This is also what you and I know as the God-breathed word of God, right? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and, and, and 17, uh, he talks about how the word of God is profitable for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, and, listen, for training us in righteousness, Okay? The church today really needs to understand how blessed we are to have the completed word of God in our hands today. But there's also, of course, yet another contributor to our sanctification, and that is the Holy Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is so important in the lives of Christians that God has given each and every believer the Spirit of God to literally indwell each and every one of us. We saw that last week in verse 9. But we also know from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, he tells us that we, meaning the believers, the church, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in us. Okay? Just as Almighty God dwelt in the Mosaic tabernacle, just as God dwelt in Solomon's temple, the Holy Spirit dwells in, 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 in the core, in the, the inner man of every single believer. Now, why does God do that? Why does he give us, bless us with his spirit? Well, to keep this very short, as you know, God has commanded each and every one of us to be holy as he is holy, right? I could have used many verses, by the way, but that one pretty much says it all, be holy as I am holy. And folks, we need to understand that God will never command us to do something without empowering us to do it. He doesn't say, I would like for you to do this and shake your hand saying, good luck, best of luck to you, I hope it works out well, right? He doesn't do that to us, thankfully, because we would all fail if that was the case. But he empowers us to do the life that he wants us 
to do, to be that person he wants us to be. Which is why 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, it talks about that same Holy Spirit using the word transform. He transforms you and me from the inside out. Listen, folks, we could never be, anybody, none of us, we could never be what God has called us to be without him giving us his Holy Spirit. Which is why the, the, the qualities that we all know of, the fruit of the Spirit, right? We know what those are. The qualities of those are just that. It's the fruit of who? The Spirit, right? I mentioned before, it's not the fruit of you. It's not the fruit of me. It's not us. It's the Spirit of God working in us. And so what comes out of us, right? The love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things is because of the Spirit of God working in our lives, you cannot, you cannot separate our spiritual transformation from the work of the Spirit of God. And of course, this is also why uh, those without the Spirit can never please God. Okay? We saw in verses 6 through 8 here in chapter 8, where Paul speaks of them, we know them as the, the non-believer, they don't have the Holy Spirit, and he says that they all have a sinful mind, he says that they are hostile towards God. The word hostile in the Greek simply means it, is, it means an enemy. He says they are controlled by their sinful nature. They do not submit to God's law. And once again, he says they can't. They cannot please God. But yet, he says, you and I, on the other hand, are, are blessed beyond measure. Here in chapter 8, verse 2, he speaks of the spirit of life, or if you will, the spirit that gives life. He has set us free. He set us free from the law or the principle of sin and death, which is why I keep mentioning Titus chapter 3, verse 5. It's a great verse to memorize, but it says in part that he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. So it's because of God's Spirit that we are not who we used to be. It's always a, a great uh, time to examine yourself if your life hasn't changed. If there's no different in you. You need to kind of re-examine yourself, right? Because God is transforming us. He is continuing to sanctify. It's a process. The word sanctify means to set apart or means to simply to make holy. Always examine yourself. Are those things being changed in my life? Or am I the same person I used to be? all those years ago. Well, we saw this a little bit last week in our, in our text, but if you just look at verse 10 real quick, he tells us here in chapter 8, verse 10, he says, but since Christ is in you, even though your body, he says, is dead because of sin, but then he says, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. So Paul was talking about the fact that that, that everyone, believer and non-believer alike, will all die because of sin. Adam's sin was transferred to each and every one of us, right? We were all, all of us were born in sin. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, in Adam, we all die, Right? We sinned and we continue to sin. For those of you who have kids, you know your kids were disobeying you. They were sinning when they were one and two years old. No one taught them that, but they did it naturally, automatically, because they were born with a nature to sin. 
Even the great apostle Paul, as we learned in the previous chapter, in chapter 7, in verse 24, he was looking at his own sinfulness. And he said, what a wretched man that I am. He struggled like everybody else. But he says, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? This body of death. Now the good news is that in verse 10, it actually has a second half, doesn't it? It says, even though your body is dead, he says, yet, guess what? Your spirit is alive because of righteousness. So in contrast to our dead body, because it's dead because of sin, the believer, it says, is alive. Why? He says, because of righteousness. Okay, I mentioned Romans chapter 3 uh, last week, where because of our faith, or due to our faith, he has given us his righteousness, right? We received a righteousness from God. That's amazing. I was very explicit when I was reading that last time because it literally says twice that righteousness comes from God. And so therefore, positionally, I like to use that word positionally, you and I as believers are justified, right? The word justified means to be declared righteous. And by God giving us his Holy Spirit, practically, we actually have that ability to live righteously, which we never could before. But because of God's Spirit who indwells each and every one of us, we have the ability to live righteously. Matter of fact, right here in chapter 8, verse 4, Paul says the righteous requirements of the law can be met in us, fully met in us. He says, why? Because we do not live according to our sin nature, but he says we live according to the Spirit. Okay? And then lastly, as we ended last week, uh, um, from verse 11, one more blessing of the Holy Spirit is that is, even though our current bodies are physically dying, yes, right now we're in the process of dying, one day, even though our bodies will go to the grave, right? We're told this in verse 11. He says, since the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Once again, he says, through his spirit who lives in you. So there's no, there's no worry about what he's trying to say here, okay? So one day he's saying, because of the Spirit of God within us, our bodies will be raised to a glorified body. It will come together with our spirit, and then ultimately we will be with the Lord forever. This is the very same Spirit, he says, who raised Jesus Christ from that tomb 2,000 years ago. He will raise, he says, our mortal bodies. And at that point, as 1 Corinthians 15, 42 says, our bodies will be imperishable. Very different than we are today. So it is astonishing as we have gone through this in chapter 8, um, what the Spirit of God has done, not just in our past, but what he continues to do in our present, in the sanctification process, but also with what verse 11 says, what he will also do even in the future. So God's spirit will continue to be with us forever as the gospel of John says.
Well, let's go ahead and we're going to pick up from there this morning. I'm going to read verses 12 through 17. And uh, we're not going to go through all verse 17 because if you know me, I'll never make it that far. But I like to read verses 12 through 17. He says this. He says, Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if we live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Why? Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are his children, he says, then we are heirs. We are heirs of God and we are co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Now, I'd like to go back to verse 12 and begin here. You'll notice here that Paul begins, it depends on what translation you have, but Paul begins with the words, so then... Or you might have, like mine says, therefore, okay? Well, what he's doing here is he's drawing a conclusion based on what he had just said in the previous verses, which basically is verses 5 through 11. He gave all those verses, and now he's going to make a conclusion. He says, therefore, okay? Now, in those verses, verses 5 through 11, Paul has shown us a contrast between those who have received the Holy Spirit. If you remember, chapter 8 mentions the Holy Spirit 19 times. So Paul is definitely focused on the Spirit of God and our sanctification, okay? But in those, those verses, uh, in that contrast, he talks about those who have received the Holy Spirit and those who therefore live according to what the Holy Spirit desires versus, or in contrast to, those who do not have the Spirit and therefore their minds are set on the sinful nature, on what their sinful nature desires. He tells us that these, these two lives are just diametrically opposed to one another. They could not be more different. So turn back with me, if you would, or turn over with me to Galatians chapter 5 real quick. I want to show you that difference. I want to show you that. Comp- I, I think it's very important that we understand this, this contrast. Galatians chapter 5, in verses 19 through 24. Now, you'll notice here that Paul even begins by saying the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. So we're talking about the exact same thing. Here are the acts. Here are how people live. Okay, here's how they think, uh, those who are fixed on their sinful natures. What does he say? He speaks of all these so-called qualities, but he speaks of sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, adultery, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And then he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then you'll notice he goes right into what you and I know as the fruit of the Spirit, or you can simply call it the acts of the Spirit. It's when the Spirit of God is working in and through you, right? 
And he says, this is what's going to come out of you. And we all know this, right? Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Folks, listen, how different are those? (laughs) Think about that. Look at both of those lists, if you will. How different are those ones who live by the Spirit and therefore you see the fruit of the Spirit and those who live based on their sinful natures? One literally lives according to and is driven by the dictates of their sinful nature, right? One, on the other side, lives by and through the Spirit of God. These these lifestyles, Scripture teaches, are totally at odds. This is why I wanted to read them. I've read them before, but I wanted to read them again because you can look at them and see they couldn't be more at odds with one another, okay? Now, why is it that I put such an emphasis Uh, on that. It's because, folks, it seems really odd, and I hope it does to you, but it seems really odd for so many people to claim, heavy on the word claim, who claim to be a Christian, they say the Spirit of God lives within them, yet what comes out of them is the same as the one who lives according to their sinful nature. I say I'm on this side, but everything that comes out of me is from the other list. There's a problem with that. And so back in Romans, Paul is saying here, since the power of the sinful nature has now been broken, in other words, we don't have to live that way. Believers, we do not have to live that way like the unbelievers. We did one time, right? That's all we had. We lived, we were driven by our sinful nature, but we don't have to do that anymore. We now have the transformative Spirit of God that resides within us. Okay? This is where you go into verse 12. And because of that, Paul says what? Paul says we have no obligation to live in any way according to that nature. Do you see that in verse 12? He said it's it's not who we are anymore. We have no obligation to live according to our old sinful nature. Okay. Matter of fact, right here in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Why? Because anyone who has died, meaning we died with Christ, he says, has been freed from sin or freed from a lifestyle. Not free permanently, we will sin, but we don't live a lifestyle of sin, see? This was our old, unregenerate self. That person is, by the way, described in the previous chapter, in chapter 5, as ungodly, as sinful, as an enemy of God. Okay, You can go back even further. You can go all the way to Romans 1, where we're called godless, wicked, depraved, right? You name it, that list goes on and, and on and on. But, but watch this, folks, because this is really important, okay? Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And in verses 6 through 9, he says this, I'm sorry, in verses 9 through 11, I'm looking at this going, that's not right. Verses 9 through 11. 
Paul says, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? That's something we all need to understand. The wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, do not be deceived. Typically, that means they are being deceived. So he says, listen, don't be deceived. And he gives this list. He says, the sexually immoral, the idolaters, the adulterers, the male prostitutes, homosexual offenders, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers. And this isn't an exhaustive list, but he says, these people who live like this, what does he say? Will not inherit the kingdom of God. But then he gives this great news. And he says, and this is what some of you were. Past tense. He says, he says, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's great news. But once again, it shows the working of the Spirit of God and that washing. If you go back to Titus 3.5, don't do it now, but it talks about that washing of rebirth, that washing of renewal, right? It not only saves us, it talks about we're being born again, but it talks about the continual cleansing, the daily, as the Spirit of God works in us to give us new life. And so taking this understanding that we just got through reading there in 1 Corinthians 6, this new life, this, this washing, Going back to to verse 12 here in Romans, no, we do not have an obligation to our old sinful nature. Okay? Now, listen, with that being said, that also means we do have an obligation to live by the terms of the Holy Spirit. Can't have one without the other. Okay? Now, that word obligation there, it literally means a debtor. D-E-B-T-E-R, a debtor, okay? It means to be in debt to someone or something, okay? Paul says here in the text, we owe nothing, that debtor, we owe nothing to our sinful nature. We died to it. Therefore, we owe everything through the Spirit. We owe everything to Him. Matter of fact, back in chapter 6, verse 2, You might remember Paul asked this question. He said, should we just continue to sin so that grace may increase? And his answer was, absolutely not. We died to sin. And he says, how can we live in it any longer? Right? Speaking on the grace of God, Paul said in Titus 2.12, he said, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this age. So we continue to see the separation that Paul is putting here on somebody who's driven by the Spirit, which is the believer, and somebody who is driven uh, by their sinful nature, which is the unbeliever, okay? Now, as he moves now and goes into verse 13, he makes sure here, he makes it very clear so there's no misunderstanding, okay? He lays it out there, verse 13. He says, for if you live, or if you you could say, if you do live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, unfortunately, there are teachers out there 
who want to soften the blow uh, to this statement. Some really even, they try to finagle the meaning and act like, well, that's not really what Paul is saying. Okay? Matter of fact, I looked this week at the Bible Knowledge Commentary. It's, it's, it's a good commentary. It's, it's, uh, it's written by the faculty of Dallas Theological Seminary. They're a good bunch of guys. But it says here, when it talks about you will die, the Bible Knowledge Commentary says it means they will not enjoy their spiritual life. Really? I was like, look around in my office. Really? <laughs> really? That's what you got from that? Really? The problem with that, folks, is what, the, what this kind of does is it hurts the reader when you and I need to hear the truth. Okay? Especially when it comes from God's word, no matter how tough or how harsh it may be. And for some people, I believe, those kinds of statements can lead people into an eternal damnation because there will be many people who believe that they can live in continual sin but yet still be heaven-bound. Right? And then what, you know what happens then? You end up in Matthew chapter 7 where people are saying, Lord, Lord. And what does Jesus say? Depart from me. I never knew you. But they thought they did. They thought they knew him. They even called him Lord. Those are the worst verses you ever want to hear in your life right there. So read the first half there once again in this verse, verse 13. He says, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. Now, two quick things that I want to point out here. Number one, the word die there is not talking about physical death. Okay, We know that because all of us are already going to die. Right? The unbeliever and the believer. Both are already going to die. The one who walks according to the Spirit is going to die. Okay, so we know that's not the case. Therefore, it's either a metaphor, like the Bible Knowledge Commentary says it is, or it means spiritual death. It means damnation. Okay? Secondly, and I believe this is, this is the key point here, and I, I've stated this before, but these kind of things are very important in the Greek, and that is the verb there, the verb live, where it says they live according to their sinful nature. That is a present tense verb, which means it is a habitual action. It's habitual, it's continual, okay? In other words, when he says living according to one's sinful nature, it, it, it's not an inadvertent sin. It is a lifestyle, okay? Anything written in its present tense in the original language like that, it, it just means it's ongoing. It doesn't stop. It's continual, habitual, Okay? So when he looks at this, he doesn't say one had a bad day, right? Made a mistake and sinned. It's saying they live, uh, they live continually ongoing by the sin nature. Matter of fact, one commentary even says they live to indulge their carnal propensities. In Romans chapter 6, verse 21, it said this. Paul, Paul asked this question. He says, what benefit did you reap at that time from the things that you're now ashamed of? In other words, he says, look back at your life. The things that you're now, as a believer, you're now ashamed of the things you've done. He says, go back to that time, and what benefit did you reap from doing all those things? You know what Paul's answer was? Death. These things resulted in death. 
In Galatians chapter 6, verse 8, he says the one that sows to please the sinful nature, like we're talking about right here, from that nature will reap destruction. Folks, I didn't make these up, by the way. I'm just reading the verse. We all get it, right? We don't like to hear it. Some people don't like to talk about it, but it's very real. I read earlier to you in Galatians 5, we all turned there. Right? It spoke of the acts of the sinful nature. We read all those. Right? After we read that list, the very next verse said, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. <laughs> I can't butter that up. I can't say, oh, it's, it's you know, allegory, it's a metaphor, it's uh, something different. It doesn't really mean what it says. No, it means exactly what it says. The church today spends too much time trying to convince itself and convince others that because in the past, sometime in the past, you walked an aisle, right? Or because sometime in the past you repeated a prayer that somebody told you to pray, and somehow from that point on, no matter what happens, you are a Christian. You are heaven-bound, okay? even though from that point forward they've continued to live in sin. There's never been a change. They've never been transformed. But that's okay. I prayed a prayer 20 years ago. It doesn't match up, you see. But the church spends too much time trying to be positive. Oh, Darren, I know they were saved. I was there. I saw a little tear going down his eye. And that tear obviously is the evidence of someone's salvation, right? I'm like, no, it's not. The evidence of someone's salvation is a changed life. Paul makes it very clear. You live in sin. Not that you sin, because all of us do. If you live a life in sin, you're no different than your average pagan outside. He says, you will not enter the kingdom of God. He says, it is death. Or you can also use the word destruction. Okay. Listen, folks, it's one thing to sin. Sadly, I hate to say it, but you and I will sin again. But it's something completely different to have a lifestyle that is a total contradiction to the things of God. Right? And usually, no desire to change that. No desire whatsoever. When I was, I don't know, 12 years old, I, quote-unquote, prayed with my school teacher to receive Christ. I was never saved. I lived my life like the pit of hell for all the, all the years that followed. There were, the only fruit in my life was as bad as it gets, right? People would actually ask me, why do you live like this? Why do you do the things that you do? I said, because I like it. I liked my sin, I was driven by it. I, I've told you before, I had a rush, the worst sin that I can do. It, I would just get this rush. That's just evil, folks. Thankfully, God saved me nonetheless. But, but people would ask me, because what, what, I don't want to live that way. I like my sin. I didn't go back and say, well, no, oh, yeah, when I was 12, I prayed a prayer. I'm saved. I'm heaven bound. That's baloney. There must be evidence and the evidence shows quite the contrary, right? All right, so just like the flesh, our sin nature, is always linked to death, the Spirit of God is 
is always linked to what? Life, right? Notice the contrast that Paul gives in the second half of verse 13. He says, but, so here's the other side, if, the, if by the Spirit you put to death those misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, I think it's important that I want, I want you to see those, those three words there. Don't miss those three words, by the Spirit, okay? It's easy to just blow through that. It really is for all of us. But Paul makes this point, folks. Paul makes a point that it is by the Spirit. It is by the power of the Spirit of God who we've been told over and over that lives in us that we put to death the misdeeds of the body. Or as chapter 6 called it, the body of sin. Okay? So it's important we don't miss those words. It's by the Spirit that this takes place. As I stated earlier, you cannot separate spiritual transformation You can't separate the change in your life from the Spirit of God. It doesn't happen. It can't happen. I raised the question in my introduction this morning. Why did God give us His Spirit to indwell us? And the answer was because He's called us, He's commanded us, actually I should say, to be holy. And that cannot happen. It's not going to happen without His presence within us. It's not deep theological, it's just reality, okay? That's exactly what's happening here in verse 13. By the Spirit of God, he says, we put to death those sinful deeds. That's actually in the Greek, it means we are putting to death. It's a, once again, it's that, it's that present tense. It means, it means it's habitual, it's continual. We are continually, nonstop, we're always putting to death the things of our flesh. Okay, Now that should make sense, I hope, to every one of us here because the, the, the solicitations to our sin nature, they're constant, aren't they? They're constant in our lives. And therefore, the necessity to continue to put those things to death is the same. It's ongoing, it doesn't stop. The world, the flesh, and the devil, the enemy of the believer, are not gonna just stop and say, you know what, you win, Darren, forget it. <laughs> That's not gonna happen. So we have to continue to put to death those things, Paul says. And so here's the point. As a believer in Christ, we daily, we daily fight our sinful nature. Anybody ever go through days and weeks where you have no problems, no battles? It's just an easy gig. Anybody? Wow, I got no hands at all. That's amazing. No, because it's not. Everybody knows that. Our daily life is we fight against our sin nature, right? We literally live in a battlefield. Each day, each and every day, we are putting to death what we simply call the desires of our flesh. Through the Holy Spirit, folks, we overcome the temptation to be our old selves. Now, that being said, sometimes we fail. Sometimes we, we, we screw up. We fall to the flesh, okay? No one else is perfect, okay? It's always going to be a battle. But we try to overcome temptation every single day, right? We don't win 100% of the time. We all know that. But listen, and this is very important, it's one thing to fight the battle and to occasionally fall to the flesh, right? 
We fight that battle every day against sin, against the world, against what's thrown in front of us, what comes up on the internet and everything we see. We fight it every day. It's one thing to do that and then occasionally I failed, okay? It's something completely different to never even be in the fight. In other words, there is no battle because you simply choose to sin. And that's the difference between those two, the unbeliever and the believer. It's not really a battle to them. Right? When sin is thrown in front of them, they're going, where? When immorality is thrown in front of them, when pornography comes up on the internet, when filth comes up in a movie, we just keep watching it. Keep doing it. Keep saying it. Keep seeing it. What is that? The, the believer who lives by the Spirit constantly battles this in his life. But he doesn't have a desire to live in sin. We don't want to live in sin. We want to honor God, and therefore we fight. We fight to overcome that. That person, Paul says, will live, will have life. Folks, Paul himself is a great example of this. He really is. Take your Bibles and turn over to Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3, we see Paul, and he, just, he lays it out for us, which he does a good job here. I hope he did, because it's God's word, right? <laughs> Philippians chapter 3, and we didn't notice what Paul says. Verses 12 through 14. Paul says this. Now, I'm not going to read all the previous part of the text there, but Paul talks about his previous life and, and, and who he was and how he considered it dung right? He wants to be this faithful man of God. He wants to suffer for Christ and so forth. And then he says in verse 12, not that I have already obtained all this, right? I'm not there yet is what he's saying. So not that I've already obtained all this or I've already been made perfect, but what do I do? I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, I forget what is behind and I strain towards what means to literally stretch. Like when you see a runner, you ever see a runner in the Olympics, they put their nose out, they do everything they can to win. That. That's what that means. It means to strain. He says, I, I strain towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is saying, I desire to be like Christ. I really do. I pursue that. But he goes, you know what? I do fail sometimes. I do. Right? We, we, we talked about that in Romans 7, right? Paul talked about his failures. But what does he say? He says, but that doesn't stop me, does it? He says, I press on toward my goal. He wanted to obey the Lord. He wanted to please God. See? Now listen, folks. The non-believer, or sometimes you can say the fake Christian, the one who says I'm a Christian, but they're not. There's, there's millions of those people. They have no desire to do that. Okay? Having a lifelong goal to please God is not even on the table. They have no concern if they fall short or if they sin. Oh well. Repentance or, or worship is not even in their vocabulary. Very different. 
from the believer who has the Holy Spirit. See? It's not that way for the believer who is driven by the Spirit of God. Our goal never changes. Our goal never changes. Right? We press on in the battle, and that's lifelong. We know who we want to be like. We know our end. We know what we desire. And yes, we'll struggle. We'll get beat up a little bit on the way, right? But that's our goal, and that that never changes. Paul says they will live. Those people, us, we, we will live. They will, in battle, they will persevere all the way till eternal life. Paul said, I press on, I strain, I struggle ahead. It's not just a little walk in the park, is it? The Christian life isn't just easy, fluffy rainbows and puppies, is it? Or unicorns or whatever you want to throw in there. It's not that way. So why does it happen this way? The one who lives according to their sinful nature, Paul says, will die eternally. Okay? Their direction, their lifestyle, uh, has given evidence, right? There's this evidence that they are without the Spirit of God within them. On the other side, the one who has the Holy Spirit, the one who fights these battles, they don't want to live in sin. They hate it when they sin. They hate it when they fall short. They desire to honor God. Well, as verse 14 says, why does this happen? What does he say? Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Those people, if you will, are the saved. Those are the children of God, is what he says there in verse 14. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Okay? Now, as much as this is um, somewhat of an obvious statement to many Uh, the, The clear point coming off of the previous verse is that the redeemed, the child of God, is the one who is being led by God's Spirit, okay? These are the ones that he says here in this verse that God calls his own. They're adopted into the family of God, okay? And it's evidenced, it is evidenced because they walk in the Spirit, Not perfectly, right? You never want to put that aside because we're not going to reach perfection in this world. But we live our lives, we pursue the things of God. He says we are his own. We are his adopted children. We are, if you you will, the sons of God. Now, to no surprise, the verb are led, right? They are led, as we have said many times thus far. Once again, this is in the present tense. That doesn't mean every Christian uh, in every action that they commit is perfect or or there's no uninterrupted holiness because that doesn't happen. If that was the case, Scripture would never have any admonitions for us, right? But how many times has Scripture told Christians, hey, you got to get it together. Hey, don't do that. Hey, put on the new man, right? It's because we are imperfect. But but we we know that and we get back on our horse, You see, the point is the child of God lives their life in submission. Their goal, their desires are to be submissive to God's spirit. It is their practice. It's what drives them, right? They've been redeemed. They've been uh, born anew. 
They're not interested in being self-absorbed. It's not their will against God's will. We desire God's will. He says there's a, there's a big difference there in these people. Now that being said, as we're going to close, hey, I'm on time, look at that. As we're going to close here, it's very important we see this very simple statement. The glory always goes to the Spirit of God. Okay? The glory goes to the Spirit of God in whom, without, by the way, our failures would be countless. They would be. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier on, God has given us His Word and God has given us His Spirit. He's not left us alone. He's not left us empty-handed. As Peter says, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. We don't need anything else. I don't need another book. I don't need more so-called scripture. I don't need some prophet telling me God says to add to this or God told me to tell you this or anything else. He's given us those things. And you know how blessed we are? For, we live in a country where we have extra Bibles, we have, multiple, uh, we have multiple translations, we have our, it's on the internet, we have it in front of us on our, on our phones, and there are people in third world countries who are starving to even have one copy of the New Testament. We're, we are truly blessed to have these things. So God has given us his word. He has given us his Holy Spirit. Okay? It's only because of him, folks, that we resist our old nature while maybe some others do not. It's not because we're so holy. It's not because we're so special. Because we're not. I know all of you, <laughs> and you know me, okay? Anything in Scripture that puts the Christian on a whole different level, right, is never due to the Christian. It is always due to the internal influence of God's Spirit. And that is why he spends so much time in this one chapter on the Spirit of God, which I mentioned earlier, 19 times he mentions the Spirit of God in one chapter. And that Spirit of God is for our sanctification. Those two work together. So be thankful that God works in us. Be thankful that he's given us his word, that we can walk in the way that God desires us to walk and honor him in all that we do, right? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this, this gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that, that we are absolutely undeserving. You know, I, I think of Romans 5.8. It says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, while we were yet sinners. Literally, that means while we were in the midst of sin, we were caught dead in, dead in sin, you died for us anyway. Lord, we are unlovable people. And even today, we are a selfish group of people. So many times we desire ourselves, our focus is on me, myself, and I. But God, we thank you that you help us to overcome that. We thank you that by your spirit we've been changed, we've been transformed. And Lord, as Titus 3.5 says, that you continue to do so. It's rebirth and it is renewal. What an awesome thing, Lord, to know that you didn't just save us and say good luck. You saved us and you keep walking with us. 
Lord, we are forever grateful. And I pray that we would learn, as I mentioned even a couple weeks ago, all the things that God's Spirit does as we see in Scripture. And at the same time, Lord, remember all the things that God's Spirit does not do. All these things that we see on television, which are actually nothing but a mockery of God's Spirit. Help us to see the truth, Lord, and, and that your Spirit is for our maturation, our sanctification, our being made holy, and to walk in the Spirit. And we'll give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.